my name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor around here. I have been gone for the past couple of weeks. And when I'm gone, I, I, I kind of think of it like a wind-up car, you know? Like, it's just like... And I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back. Poof, right? So this is that. This is the poof, all right? So I have been gone for the past few weeks. I've been praying for you. I'm very excited. Today we're talking about one of my favorite themes in Scripture. Trees. Yep, it's going to be awesome. Could change your life. Trees. Uh, one of the things I do not like, I, I, got, I got recently invited into a, a counseling situation. I, no, I, don't, I like counseling situations. But this, I got invited into a counseling situation, which I don't normally like to be invited into. And it was uh, some people invited me to play referee. So a dad came to me and said, hey, my young adult son is, in his words, being a bonehead. And I need you to help me straighten him out. And, you know, I tried to be, like, super gracious, like, oh, you know, I don't have the spiritual gift of refereeing, you know. He just wasn't hearing it. He's like, oh, come on. You know, I'm like, "Uh, you know, I don't know how productive that would be, like, you know, me refereeing your relationship with your son. Like, oh, come on. You know, all right. So I reluctantly, I break down. And so I'm in, a, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my office. There's this man, his adult son, and it goes exactly how you expect it to go. Listen up, Pastor Craig has something he'd like to say to you. Uh, I do? Yeah, I remember you wanted to say, and he kind of breaks into it. And, you know, it was pretty predictable. Like, you just kind of watch everything play out like you would expect it to play out until, and I still feel it in my body when I'm about to say what he said. It's like, oh. The reason I brought you here and the reason Pastor Craig is here is because I love you. And I just remember like, oh, we just went there. We just went there. Now, Do we doubt the truth of that father's words? Does he love his son? Totally. Absolutely. 100%, as we say around here. 100%. Did the son feel that love in that moment? No, he did not. And you can, you, you, you can see it play out in your mind. What happened was, you know, the son was sitting there like this, and he's talking to his dad, and then those words came out of his mouth, and he just shut down. Now, again, it's not a love problem. Legitimately believe that that father loves his son. Not a love problem at all. The dad, though, reversed some steps in the whole care process. If people don't feel like we're locked in with them, if they don't feel like we are attuned to them, that we see them, we understand as much as we can, we empathize. If they don't feel like they're getting that from us, when advice comes out of our mouths, it shuts 
people down. Maybe you've experienced this. We can experience it at work, right? A supervisor. Now, the reason I'm correcting your behavior is because I care about you. I want you to succeed. Yeah, I believe that. Sure, sure. And, right? Maybe you're in a romantic relationship, and there's that... That issue, right? You and your spouse are different, right? You keep the bedroom clean, she keeps the kitchen clean, and you, you know, leave a dirty dish out. Can you please put that away? Love you. Like, <laughs> I, believe, I, believe, I believe both of those to be true, but that doesn't, doesn't stir up things in my heart right now. If we don't believe people see us, that they understand what we're going through, it's very difficult to trust. We won't trust so when the Bible, on the opening pages of Scripture, talks about God's relationship with man, it illustrates it using two trees. God creates man and woman and puts man and woman in a garden with two trees. And what you think about those two trees will color your whole life. They'll color how you make decisions. They'll color how you relate to people. They'll color your happiness, your joy. These two trees are everything. And the invitation of the scripture is which tree do you want to live at? Which tree do you want to live at? Do you want to live at a tree where you just got to take care of yourself? Where God is, he's tough. He may love you, but he's tough. Firm but fair, all right? He's firm but fair, you know? He's testing you. He puts you in a good place. And if you can perform well, you get to keep the good. All right? So you got to figure out how to do that, and you got to figure it out on your own. That's one tree. Another tree, though, tells a different story. Another tree says that God is here. He sees you. He is intently attuned to you. He's for you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. And there is life in his presence. That's another tree. And the question is, which tree are we going to live at? Which tree are we going to live at? Many people read the creation account in Genesis 2 and get real confused real fast. Like, wait a minute. Didn't God already create everything? Now he's... What? Like, are there two different creation accounts? And then, like, biblical scholars just confuse us with all this detail. There's all kinds of wild things. Here's my best take at it. Genesis 1, God creates everything. And then on Genesis 2, it's almost like, pause. We got some explaining to do. We want to talk about God's care for us how he's present, who he is. Because if you don't believe God cares, you're never going to trust him. If you don't believe that God really is for you, that he sees you, that he knows what you need, and he loves providing it, if you don't believe that, you'll never trust him. You might do what he says. You might obey but your relationship with God is going to lack joy. It's going to lack love. It's going to be about performance. God, I did this. 
Why didn't you hold up your end of the bargain? The biblical story wants to challenge that narrative that's worked deep in all of our hearts. We all believe the first lie that God is not good, that he is withholding. Even the way we tell this story sometimes in Sunday school plays into that narrative. The way I heard the story of these two trees in Eden was that, hey, there's two trees in the middle of the garden. One, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is a test. It's like this death tree that God put in his good creation. And if they don't eat from the death tree, whew, we're off to the races and it's good. And the other one is really good. Which one are you going to pick, people? I just, I just want to, this morning, I, I just want to ask, are we open to another perspective on that story? That's not... That's not the story Genesis 2 is telling. Genesis 2 zooms in on who this God is. How does he feel about us? Does he put up with us? Does he like us? Sure, he loves us. He has to love us. But does he like us? Does he care about us? And the biblical story goes out of its way again and again and again to say, unless we see that he is good, he is for us. He's on our side. He's coming after us and he's relentless. Unless we see that, we're never going to trust him. So the invitation about these two trees is to say, are we willing to let our narrative about who God is be challenged? So, with that in mind, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7. I haven't been around for a while, so let's just try this. Would we stand with me as we read God's word? Genesis 2, we're going to read verses 7 to 18. Genesis 2, 7 to 18. Here we go. Then... The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of what? Trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there's gold. The land of that gold is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. This is the word of the Lord. Oh God, God, I want to serve people this morning. God, help us to see your goodness. You're not a far off God who's difficult to please. You're easy to find. You're near. You're present. You know what we need. You see us. You're locked in. Not only that, because of your great love for us, you love meeting our needs. God, help us to believe that. We believe. Help our unbelief. Father, we want to we experience your goodness this morning. We want that to flow into our relationships. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. You can have a seat. So the creation story starts where God makes man, puts him in a garden, and there's two trees in that garden. There's also a lot of information about rivers. And we can read over a lot of this and be like, okay, cool, rivers and trees. That's super interesting. That has very little to do with my life. Are these trees really practical? Well, one thing we have to see before we dive into this story is that we think about the world far differently from the original audience and the way they thought about the world. This is legitimately one of my favorite verses, and it's really weird. And Unless you, like, if you're like, that's not weird, you, you didn't hear it, okay? I'm going to read this verse to you, and you're going to be like, yeah, that is kind of weird, okay? It's about Solomon in 1 Kings 4. The wisdom of Solomon was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and more than all the wisdom of Egypt. So far, so good. Not super weird. There's wise people in Egypt. There's wise people in the East. Solomon is more wise. We're tracking he spoke 3,000 Proverbs, still tracking. His songs are 1,005. Okay, we're on the same page. He spoke concerning the trees. What? What? Like, why? Was he into, like, REI? Was he, like, a, just, like, in a Home Depot? Like, was this just a weird hobby Solomon had? Like, why was he so obsessed with trees? That makes no sense. We're talking Proverbs, we're talking songs, and we're talking trees. Like, what in the world? Well, in the Hebrew mindset, we have divided a difference between the sacred and the secular. Not so with them. They saw trees, and trees helped them understand what life with God was like. Trees were a metaphor for the way God cares for us. And the Bible is full of talk about trees. Okay? So, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Psalm 1. Humans are trees, right? If you delight in the law of the Lord, you are like a tree, right? When Jesus uh, goes into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, there's a, it's, a, it's a story in almost all the Gospels. He uh, heads past a fig tree, and it doesn't have any fruit on it, and he curses it. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. This fig tree will never grow fruit again. And his disciples are like, whoa, he's crazy. And we're like, what? What's the, what's the deal with trees, right? Uh, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 52, says this. I, as a person, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. All right, Ezekiel talking about people's pride. Again, says people are like trees. He says this. This is Yahweh talking. All the trees of the field shall know that I am Yahweh. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am Yahweh. I have spoken and I will do it. Trees are a metaphor for our life with God. And it's a perfect metaphor for our life with God. As a tree, you really can't do anything to grow. It, it kind of just depends on 
are you in good soil? And is there sunlight around? Right? Trees can't be like, I'm going to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow. Boom. Take that other trees. Nailed it. I'm a better tree than you. Trees are dependent. They're dependent on their environment. And so when God makes his good creation, he puts in the garden two trees to illustrate what life with him is like. There are two trees. Now, we've got to do some correcting of some theology. I had often heard, and many people teach, that God made the Garden of Eden, and then he put, again, a tree to test the people. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the testing tree, right? So it's a death tree. There's a really dangerous tree in the garden. Boom, right? And I'm going to put a life tree, okay? And if you guys are good, we'll let you eat from the life tree. But if you touch this tree, it's a test. Don't touch it, all right? And we're taught that. It's like, okay, you got to pass the test. And that naturally creates questions in our heart, like, wait, why do you do that, God? Why not, why not just put one tree? Like, could we have skipped a step? Like, why do, you need to, why do you need to put a tree? If you know people are frail and fragile, why test them? What are you doing, God? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Are you really good, or are you just some kind of sicko? Is this just fun for you? Is this entertaining? I want to push back on that idea. All right? In the Genesis 1 creation account, how many times, how many times does God say his creation is good? Does anyone remember? Yes, there we go. Courage favors, or what is it? Something favors the courage. I don't know. Anyway, seven. Yes, seven is the number of wholeness. So God is saying, my creation is whole. My creation is complete. Seven times. Now, God does not say, hey, I'm going to put a tree here that's not good. That's dangerous. It's bad. No, no, no. He still says his creation is good. He doesn't put death tree. Like, watch out for this. This is really bad. No. He, in fact, the, what we just read does say something isn't good. In verse 18, what does it say is not good? It's not good for man to be alone. So we're wired for relationship. These two trees illustrate our relationship with God. So what's happening here? The phrase, knowledge of good and evil, I think helps us to understand what this other tree is all about. And we can say it like this. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about wisdom. That phrase, knowing good and evil, it's said about 40 times in the Hebrew Bible. It even gets repeated a couple times in the New Testament. That if someone knows good and evil... Uh, in Deuteronomy, it talks about that you're able to see something and you're able to discern good and evil. So there's a, a gift of discernment. You're able to see the world coming at you and to make sense of it, right? That's wisdom, all right? Good and evil, uh, kids, it says, do not know how to discern good and evil. It talks about Samuel before he was able to understand the difference between good and evil. So it has this idea of maturity and it has this idea of discernment. God had just tasked the man and the woman to rule creation with him. And he puts two good trees in the garden. One for wisdom and maturity. Hey, here's how you can know how to discern the world. And here's a tree of life that I'm going to provide and care for you. The problem isn't that God is testing them like, haha, I'm cruel, I'm putting this mean tree here. He's saying, hey, I'm putting something here that you're, you're going to eat, but you're not yet 
ready for it. It's timing. And we know that because many, many scholars point out the similarities between Jesus' temptation in the, garden, in, in the desert and Adam's temptation here in the garden. In Jesus' temptation in the desert, all the temptations focus on, hey, take these shortcuts to bring about God's kingdom, right? You're hungry, make this bread. Hey, I'll make you king. Worship me. Then you don't have to do this whole cross thing, right? We'll find a shortcut around God's timing. God's not good. That's the same thing that happens when the Satan comes. Hey, I'm more wise than all the creatures. You need wisdom. God's withholding. Take that tree. The problem is that for you and me, that lie is deep in our bones. We all, I'm afraid, deeply are convinced that God isn't good and he's withholding from us. And so when we suffer, when we encounter hard things, God, what are you doing? You're withholding good from me. The reason, the reason I'm single and want to be married is because God is testing me and life is hard and, and, and I got I to gotta perform, I got I to gotta do well so that God knows I'm serious. Right? The reason I'm, I'm struggling financially and, and God's testing me. What does James say about that? Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God did not put this tree here to tempt and test you and to be cruel. It's an invitation. Do we trust his timing? He's like, hey, this tree's good. But you need to mature into it. You're not yet ready for it. And that's the fork in the road that we all live at. Are we going to live in autonomy? I don't need anybody. I can figure this out myself. I've got my own wisdom. Okay, God says this. Okay, I got I to gotta figure out how to maneuver. I've got this. God's not taking care of me. I'm on my own. Or are we going to live at the other tree, which says, I'm not alone. I'm actually quite dependent. I'm, I'm fragile. I have needs that I myself cannot meet. I cannot make money appear in my bank account. I cannot, I cannot help my kids see the folly of the decisions they're making. I'm dependent. But am I going to live in that dependence with God or am I going to try to figure things out on my own? And if we don't believe that God is good, we're always going to be eating at this tree. We're always going to be trying to go it alone. And that's why in order to cultivate trust, we have to remind ourselves, remind each other that he's good, he's on our side, he's coming after us, and he's relentless. We don't have a God who's passive. We have a God who's actively locked in. He's attuned. He sees us and he's caring for us. That's what Genesis 2 is working to convince our hearts of. Look with me at verse 8. Genesis 2, verse 8. Remember, these people lived in a very different world. They saw trees differently. They also saw God differently. So this is uh, Genesis 2, or excuse me, verse 7. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's the author of Genesis trying to push back on God's, uh, the belief that God isn't good. All right? The ancients believed that people were made from a mixture of clay and the bloods of God. All right? And they got this because during births, 
Lots of things came out during a birth, and they went, what's all this? Well, this is probably how the gods made us. There was blood from a god, so God killed another god, put the blood in the clay, and then this is just extra, right? It's like building Ikea furniture. There's extra screws. There's extra parts to this person. That's, that's how the gods made us. The biblical story tells a way different story, though. This is, again, this is, this is a picture of a historical reality, all right? This is the picture that, God, uh, the, that Scripture tells us in Genesis 2, verse 7. That Yahweh Elohim, he bends down and he grabs dust. And the word for formed, the word for formed is used for uh, artists, people that worked with clay. And he forms man out of the dust of the ground. And then he... That's care. A God who's present. Not just like, oh, let's make people, let's kill them in violence. And no, a God who, is, who has put design into each one of us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. God, God is an artist, and he put that creativity in how he made people. He's, he's locked in. He cares. He's not like the other gods. He's not like the other gods at all. Here's another way he's different. Look with me at verse 9. Genesis 2, verse 9. When after God puts the care into making the people, he goes even further than that. He's not just like, okay, I made you. You're on your own. You've got to figure out this life. There's, there's Coke in the fridge. If you need something, call me. No. It says this in verse 9, that he made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God not only makes them with care, he puts them in a place of what? Beauty. There's a ton of trees that are pleasing to the eye. They're beautiful. Our God is an artist, and he puts us in a beautiful place. And also the trees were good for food. He's caring for our needs. He's locked into our wants. He's locked into our needs. He's for our flourishing. He's not withholding anything. He's locked in, and he's meeting our needs. The word for that, in case you're wondering, is love. When someone who sees our needs and is able to meet them does so, that's love. The invitation to live at this tree is just an invitation to be loved. I receive. The invitation at this tree is you got to take. Nobody's looking out for you. And that matches our experience. I don't watch the news, but when I do, I get ulcers. Like, I, like I, you know, I'm not joking. I turn on the news, and like, if our kids are in the room, I'm like, I don't think this is appropriate for children to hear at all. Like, you hear what these people are saying? Like, there was a, when I was in high school, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but Jack Johnson was a big deal, and he had a song, like, how, why, how, come nobody, how come newscasters don't cry when they read about people who die? And I always thought that was like just some nice hippie song when I was in high school. Now I'm like, what's wrong with these psychopaths reading the news? That's crazy, the stuff they're reading. I mean, I was reading, uh, I was watching a, a, a news station. I'm not going to say, because you will judge me. But I was watching this news station, and it, and it had the 911 report from a mass shooting of a kid saying these things, I had to put it down. I was like, whew! I did not like living in that world. That's awful. 
This is terrible. And so we see that and we're like, yeah, no one's taking care of us. God has left the building. We've got to do it alone. Let's go. It matches our experience. Right? And many of us, even the church has been that place. The church is it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to go to church. I'm going to find community. I get there. I get judged. I get well-intentioned people who just wreak havoc of me and don't understand me and judge me. And it doesn't match our experience. It's, it's painful. And so it's like, God, I get it. I'm invited to live at this tree. But are you really good? Because my experience points in a different direction. And this morning, I cannot solve the problem of evil. I can't. And any preacher who says they can, they're going to sell you a DVD packet later and just stay away from them, okay? There's real suffering. There's real brokenness in the world. And sadly, some of us who say we sit at this tree have contributed to the brokenness of that world. Whew. And the God of Scripture wants to meet us there in that place with those feelings and challenge that narrative. God didn't put a bad tree in a good garden and say, if you can handle this, you'll get life. No, 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 no. Listen, listen again. Look at this. This is really important. Uh, what is in verse, in verse 16? Look at this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What does that not say? That does not say, if you eat from this tree, I'm going to kill you. It just says, you're not, don't eat from this. It, 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 chaos will come from eating this. In the ancient Near East, uh, in almost every creation story, in Egyptian creation stories, in Canaanite Egyptian stories, they all have stories about the gods having fruit. And the gods having fruit that will give both wisdom and life to people. But do you know who the gods don't share that with? People. In every other creation story that we have, the gods keep the fruit to themselves. Yahweh Elohim says, eat freely. That's the very first command in Scripture. If you're ever playing Bible trivia, which don't, but if you ever find yourself, someone says, what's the first command in Scripture? Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, eat freely. This chapter is relentless. God is for you. The very first thing, he puts us in a beautiful garden and says, eat freely. You're free. Enjoy. Delight. Eden means delight. It's where we get the word hedonism. When we make delight the God. But God is saying, hey, I, I am attuned. I'm locked into your needs. I'm putting you in this place where if this is a party, I'm a generous host. I'm here to provide for you. I see your needs. I see your wants. 
And we don't always trust his timing. God, I want to be married. Good thing. It's a good desire. It's also good to be single. But you're like, hey, I, I'm free to you. I want to get married. Years go by. God, why are you doing this to me? Are you not good? I, you know, I met with people, they want to go in the mission field. They have this good desire. They're like, man, this must be from God, right? Who wants to go in the mission field? I want to go in the mission field. This is good. And then they're stuck at home. God, are you, are, what's happening here? Are you really good? Are you really caring for me? Or do I need to just go out and provide for myself? Or can I say, no, God is not cruel. He's not testing me. He's for me. So I don't know, I don't understand this whole timing thing. I don't understand why the answer isn't yes, but I will wait. And I will live in his presence. That's not passivity, by the way. Look with me at uh, verse oh, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. That word for put is the word Noah. Where we get the word Noah, which that guy is named after. And it means rest. God put Noah in, I didn't put Noah, God put Adam and Eve in the garden to rest. Trust me, be a tree, I'll provide. You just need to receive. And part of that is work and care for the garden. Trust, while it may not be, oh, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to prove myself, I'm going to prove I really trust. It's not passive. Work is a way that we can get energy. It's a way that God provides. It's a life-giving, energizing thing. It's a way we can receive. When we go outside and we take, those gifts stop being good. Right? And that's exactly what this tree is. Like, sex. Sex is a good thing. It's created by a good God who loves beauty, who loves joy. When we experience sex before we're ready, we experience the chaos of a good gift. That's this tree. God did not put a bad tree in the garden. He just said, hey, you're going to rule? You're not ready for it yet. Can you trust my timing? That's what the Satan comes in and challenges. Just like he did with Jesus, just like he does with us. You can't trust his timing. The reason you're waiting out here is because he's cruel. And it takes work to say, no, I'm going to stay at this tree. I'm going to trust. And yep, there's questions. And I'm going to ask those questions. But I'm going to trust. It's really important. It's really important that we don't do that alone. Remember, seven times God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But what's not good? The very first thing God says is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Starting last week, we started a class where we're trying to live out some of these values about uh, how do we do life together? How do we, as people trying to follow Jesus, bring other people into that? And I know all the introverts in the room go, whoa, no, not, no, 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 we're not going to do that, right? Please, what does this mean? What are, what are you asking me to do? One of the ways that we can experience God's goodness is through the diversity of people he's put around us. So we have a class that's meeting uh, Sundays at 9. So in the first hour, it's meeting downstairs called Sacred Pathways. And here's how you can experience how it's not good for people to be alone. Uh, Dallas Willard, 
who's a huge influence of mine, the spiritual guru of the 20th century, uh, wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, where he talked about, hey, here's some practices you can do to cultivate dependence, right? So if, you know, you can, he's like, you can read more, you know, writing all these practices. What would happen, though, is Dallas would travel on the road, and people would be like, hey, Dallas, hey, Dallas, what are you doing right now? Like, I want to write down what you're doing so I can do it, right? So how often do you read every day? Okay, read. All right, how often do you pray? How often do you have people over for dinner? How often do you celebrate? How many movies do you watch a week? And Dallas was always hesitant to answer those questions. Why? His story was not their story, right? What works for Dallas may not work for them. What works for Craig might not work for you. We're different people. We're also in different seasons. What worked for me, what helped cultivate trust, what helped me be known, it may work in one season. It might have worked in spring, but now it's summer, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. And so we're with this class, Sacred Pathways, we're all going to learn together, hey, there's nine, about nine ways that some people have noticed that people connect with God. And one of the ways that we as a community learn and grow from that is we see, oh, you know what? I thought the only way to connect with God was through studying the Bible. So I just study the Bible. I'm a Bible nerd. There's some people at Compass Church, though, who are not. Probably less spiritual. Nailed it. That's probably what's going on here. Well, I experience God through nature. This buffoon is indoorsy. They don't love God like I do. And what happens, though, is in this class, what we're going to see is God's wired us differently. And so some people more naturally experience God through studying Scripture. Some of us more naturally experience God through being outside. Some of us naturally through the arts and music. And what happens is we go, oh, man, I get correction here. I've been just telling myself how great am I and my worship of God. And I see, man, there's another way to do this. That's beautiful. And that's, again, not good to be alone. So we're not, the invitation to not be alone is not saying, okay, you can never go to Target alone. If you're ever going to go to Target, grab your phone, call somebody. Hey, it's not good for me to be alone. So would you come to Target with me? If you want to do that, great. But if that's not you, don't do that. But you know what is a great discipline? Sharing our stories. Showing up and saying, hey, this is me. Uh, again, a couple weeks ago, I sat with a spiritual director. And one of the things she said, uh, she had us do this exercise that she was training us to lead our churches through. It's an exercise called life mapping. So basically, you have all these post-it notes and you just brain dump all the details of your life. right? All these details. And then you arrange it chronologically. And, and then you find people and you tell your story. This is me. This is how I've seen God show up. Here's some things that happened to me that created questions about God. Here's me. And so she, ha- she led us through this exercise, and she said, at the end of this exercise, we're going to s- sit together in small groups, so groups of four. Someone will be a timer, and just let everyone share their story for 15 minutes. And people listening, this is an invitation for you to listen. So do not fix anything. Do not ask, well, well, hey, this happened to me back in the 90s. No, no, no. Just do everything you can to show them you're listening. And then she said this. She said, because most people 
have not talked for 15 minutes and truly experienced someone who listened, who was attuned, and who cared. When was the last time you truly felt seen, understood, heard, and then accepted? We're not trying to fix you. We just see you. When Scripture tells us that's what God is like, we are like, yeah, but there's a big comma there. God may be attentive. God may be for me. God may have made me with care and nurture, and he may provide for me, and he may love me, but there's a catch, and it's coming. The reason we think that is not because the Bible tells us so. The reason we think that is because most of the people we meet live at this tree. And the fruit of that tree is what we're describing. Death, which is what he warned us about. So, in our exercise a couple weeks ago, you know, I write out my story. Other people rather try to group of four people. And there was one guy in the group who was like, uber introvert. Didn't really say much all week. I liked him. He's a cool guy, but he just was like really quiet. And so, you know, as we shared our stories, they, you're supposed to like say, hey, I hear you. Thank you. And, and we're just going to pray for you and bless you. So I share mine. Another guy shares his. And this woman who was awesome, she was like in her mid-70s and she was just punk rock. She was rock and roll Christian. She had a wild story, met Jesus later in life. Just, it was so cool. I was so glad she was there and shared her story. So she shared her story, and there were details of her story that some in the group did not know how to handle. It was like, whoa, this is a lot. This is a roller coaster of a story. And so we all go around sharing. Hey, I hear you. Thank you for sharing. That was courageous. And we keep inviting introverted man to share. We'll call him Chris. Hey, Chris, do you have anything you want to share? And he goes, hmm. You know, in my head, I'm like, well, Chris wasn't listening. All right, and we go around again. All right, Chris, now do you have something to share? And he looks up. He's crying. Now, I'm the type of person, I see police sirens. I'm like, let's follow that, right? So I'm like, all right, what's happening here? This is exciting. Let's see what's going on. And he just said, your story, it was so clear you were being vulnerable. That you really risked being known and being misunderstood by us. And I was tremendously blessed by you sharing your story. And so I want to do the only thing I know how to do to bless you. I sing. I'm like, wow, this is crazy, right? And he's like, so I'm going to sing over you. And he just started singing, right? He started singing the song, The Blessing. Lord bless you and keep you. And if you just lead with that, I'm like, that was a crazy, wild, hippy-dippy experience I was a part of. But in the moment, it was a beautiful thing of someone saying, look, I've tried to do things my way, and right now I want to live in a different tree. So I'm just going to share, and I'm going to receive whatever comes. And her courage prompted someone else to be courageous. And the first thing that comes in my head after watching this experience, it is not good for man to be alone. To be seen and to be loved, that's the story of Scripture.
Because look, trees got us into an awful lot of mess. All right, we went to the wrong tree and it created chaos. All right, and, and if any point we're like, yep, all right, God, do you love me? Do you, are you for me? This is the time for him to say, ah, nope. On, second, on further consideration, I'm going to try something else. Mm-mm. If there's any time for him to back out of this relationship, when we went to the wrong tree and disobeyed, that's the time. But if trees got us into this mess, God in his poetic beauty is going to use trees to get us out of this mess. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We went to the wrong tree. And he said, I have a tree for that. He is for you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And boy, is he relentless. He had an out. We gave him an out. And he said, I'll provide. I'll give you the right tree. Have you eaten from that tree? Have you met the resurrected Savior? Have you just said, I receive? I don't know what else to do. I've tried to go in alone, but I'll receive. The book of Revelation ends with New Jerusalem. It's beautiful, but it keeps going. In the end, in the New Jerusalem, there's a tree of life. And he lets everyone who's received eat. Solomon thought about trees. Because a tree can change the world. Father, Father, I pray. I pray that we would be open to your spirit moving right now. Father, this tree is not just for people who've never discovered Jesus. This is for all of us. God, I pray that we all would have a posture of receiving right now. God, I pray that as we have moved to the other tree, that you would woo us back with your love, that you are attuned, you are dialed in to us. You know what we need and you meet our needs. God, I pray... I pray for those of us who may be doubting. Oh, this, this is good, but it's not for me. God, challenge that narrative, Lord. God, you run for us. You're relentless. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.